Hello, I'm Wayne, and this is my Iron Maiden podcast, sponsored by Tunnock's Tea Cakes, chocolate-covered sticky marshmallow products that are good any time of the day. On these podcasts, I look at the songs of Iron Maiden and how I used to listen to them growing up as a boy in 1980s Birmingham. I'm also having a look at them today and see if anything's changed. I'm now on Series 4 of the podcast, which means I'm looking at the fourth album, which is Peace of Mind. Naturally, I'm looking at track one on the Peace of Mind album, which is Where Eagles Dare. First of all, let's have a look at the latest news regarding Iron Maiden. In the last couple of weeks, there's been quite a lot going on with Iron Maiden. We had a special video from Bruce Dickinson, where he had long hair, and he was reading from the fan club magazine. But underneath, he was being cheeky, and he had a copy of Adrian's fishing book underneath. He made a joke, he said about not carping on about it, Carp is a type of fish. More importantly, he announced that they weren't standing still and they were working on things. This was exciting. I asked Trevor what he thought about the video. Here's his response. Yeah, I liked it. Next came the announcement of a double live album, brand new, that was recorded about a year ago in Mexico. And it's called Knights of the Dead, Legacy of the Beast. It's got really good artwork with Eddie with a sombrero, which is what they wear in Mexico. It's got a great set list and fans across the globe were very excited with this news. I asked Trevor what he thought about the set list on it. Yeah, I like it. As well as exciting release news and the sight of Bruce's face, there's also been a resurgence of interest in popular culture. On BBC's The One Show, gritty urban popster The Dizzy Rascals were guests on this and one of them was wearing an Iron Maiden t-shirt. It was Power Slave which I believe you can buy from mainstream outlets. But actually, this one out of the Dizzy Rascals said that he was a fan and it wasn't just some fashion thing. So this was good news and it got Iron Maiden back in the spotlight on primetime TV. An Iron Maiden shirt was also featured on Miley Cyrus's Instagram stories. She was encouraging people to vote, but she happened to be wearing an Iron Maiden t-shirt. This doesn't mean that Iron Maiden condoned her politics. But it was just another example of a celebrity endorsing Iron Maiden. Now what was disappointing, that was typically the press were focusing on a young woman and what she was wearing, and they were talking about the fashion of her Covid mullet. Most people accept this, and the Iron Maiden t-shirt, but why didn't they accept my real mullet, which wasn't inspired by Covid, and me wearing an Iron Maiden t-shirt in 1988? I bet Miley Cyrus hasn't been chased down the street by bullies and gangs. I might write her a tweet, but I doubt she'll answer it. So it's exciting to have some Iron Maiden headlines, which I haven't done before, so I hope you liked it, even though some of it isn't news anymore. As I said, this week I'm looking at Where Eagles Dare, and it's part of the Peace of Mind album, which was very exciting. I remember buying this as a boy and getting it home, and to find it was something called a gatefold album. This means that when you open it, it's not just a record inside a sort of small slit in the sleeve, you actually open it like a book, and you've got a bigger piece in front of you. Before I heard Where Eagles Dare, I looked at the pictures and the lyrics that were in this sleeve. And there's a picture of the band on the left-hand side, sitting down for a Sunday dinner. There's Bruce at the front, looking quite muscular and menacing. And there's a bit of an apple attached to his knife that he's holding. He's not waiting for dinner, he's just holding his knife and fork. And that's a bit naughty, because I was always told not to mess with the cutlery until dinner arrives at the table. All of the band are there, and they've all got wine glasses. But opposite Bruce is Steve Harris, and he's holding a beer bottle. 
This is funner because he likes beer. So he's not, he's not conforming by liking wine just because it's a Sunday dinner. It's quite interesting looking at Steve Harris because he hasn't got any tattoos on his lower arms and it seems quite strange today. Sat next to him is Dave and he's sort of smiling, waiting for his dinner. And then there's Adrian. But then sort of hidden away a bit is this new character in the band called Nico, Nico McBrain. And he's the new drummer and he's replaced Clive Burr. It's quite strange that he's sort of sat aside almost like as an afterthought, hiding away in the background, when in fact he's well known for being a larger-than-life character. I wasn't sure about him. I didn't like the fact he was hiding away, whereas in previous albums I could see Clive on the inner sleeve, looking quite comfortable. He had dark hair, which seemed strange, because later on he often had lighter hair, so I don't know if he dyed his hair brunette. This seems strange for 1983, as a lot of people were dyeing their hair blonde, in line with the new romantic scene, and highlights, and, and characters like Sharon and Pat out of EastEnders. So while I thought this was silly at the time, I admire it now, because it's standing up against following the herd, and not conforming to the masses. I wondered about this new face then, sat there waiting for his Sunday dinner, although there's no evidence from the photo that it was a Sunday. It just looks like a roast dinner, because there's a platter at the bottom right of the picture, which has got vegetables, like carrots and broccoli, However, any doubts I had about this new chap were quashed within the first few seconds of Where Eagles Dare because there's this majestic drum opening which basically announces that he's here. After this, the guitars kick in and they've got this new sound and it's a sound that I only really hear on the Peace of Mind album, this sort of meaty sound. And because I heard it while looking at the band eating a Sunday dinner, I always think of the Peace of Mind guitar sound as being meat and graver. This sounds silly, but often people refer to meat and potatoes as a type of criticism, like a band's got a meat and potatoes sound, which means basic. Iron Maiden, to me, have got a meat and gravy sound, which goes beyond that of meat and potatoes, because you need gravy to make meat and potatoes work, and Iron Maiden make things work, and are better than meat and potatoes. So to summarise, Iron Maiden are not a meat and potatoes rock band. When I heard it recently on headphones, I was amazed by the sounds on it. So that opening drum bit sort of pans from left to right and back again, which adds to the drama. And it wouldn't have been the same for me listening as a boy. I would have noticed this, sat there on the sofa with a can of Vimto and some chewits. Eventually, Bruce kicks in with the vocal. And the first line says, It's snowing outside, the rumbling sound of engines roaring the night. I thought this might have been about the gritters that went through Birmingham at night throwing down salt to make sure that the snow didn't stick to the road so you could run for the school bus in safety. But as the lyrics went on, I realised it wasn't. And it was about eagles. It talks about the eagle's nest and where they dare, which is obvious really from the title. Looking at it now, I can see that it's from a 1968 film which was called Where Eagles Dare. And that was about the war. It's got Clint Eastwood and Richard Burton in it, so perhaps I should see it. But reading about it, I can see that it's based on a real Allied mission behind enemy lines. And where eagles dare, the concept refers to the almost suicidal mission of daring to go beyond that. So the line, no one should fly, where eagles dare, means that you'd be foolish to go that far. But like the characters in the film, go beyond the normal and beyond where they should go. I think that Iron Maiden goes beyond as well, what a normal rock band does. So I think it's quite symbolic. Back by popular demand, it's 
Dave Murray fact of the week. When the band are unwinding and playing Monopoly, Dave Murray always picks the boot as his playing piece. He does this selflessly because several other members insist on being a certain piece. Steve's the iron because of Iron Maiden. Nico has the car. Adrian has the boat for fishing reasons. And Bruce has the hat. Dave always had the boot. No one had the dog, so Yannick got it. Even though Adrian left and the boat was free, Yannick got the dog. But anyway, this isn't about Yannick. It's about Dave Murray and he has the boot. And he actually says he has the boot because it reminds him of when he did get the boot temporarily in the early days. But Dennis Wilcock, the singer of the time. So this is just another example of his self-effacing humour. I don't have any information on his strategy in the game. So I hope you enjoyed Dave Murray Fact of the Week. Bruce's singing is very good on this song. There's lots of wails and he sounds in control. He holds notes, although he struggles to say the word valley at the end of the line. So I'll complete it for him like this. After the first verse, there's quite a long gap before the vocal comes back in again. And there's lots of instrumental passages. One of these passages is repeated and it's sort of bridged by a solo. And this whole middle section suggests like a battle in the air. There's gunfire in the background. And we can hear that double kick that Nico is famous for. The one that he does without using a double bass pedal. I think the guitars, they sound like a dogfight as well. They sort of go back and forth as they jostle for position. Just after the solo, there's a section that builds a bit. Um, I can sort of hear Paul Diano doing a yeah over it, like in Wrathchild. But this doesn't happen. But I wonder if these sections sound the same. Let's find out. why Bruce Dickinson didn't do that so as I said it's about war and there's a few war songs on this album where Eagles Dare became the set opener on the World Peace Tour and they'd open it with the main title from the movie so this replaced Murders in the Rue Morgue which was the set opener on the Beast on the Road Tour previously it's come and gone quite a bit in their live set throughout the years they dropped it after this but they brought it back a few times on the Somewhere on Tour in 1986 but sadly, they didn't play it at the Birmingham Odeon when I was there. Most recently, they played it on the Legacy of the Beast tour. And in fact, it's on the new double live album that's coming out. Or triple vinyl, if you prefer. OK, there's a new feature for this series. Let's find out what it is. It's Dave Harris's diary. It's Dave Harris's diary. It's Dave Harris's diary. It's January 1983. I had a nice breakfast this morning. I had the three teas. I had tea. I had toast. I had Tannock's tea cake. I suppose that's four teas, really, ain't it? But yeah, never mind. Well, we've got another year ahead. <laughs> Surely it can't get better than 1982, but, but why not? We've got a new drama. 
new potential there. Oh, Nico, he's got some tricks, all right. Can't wait to get into the studio with him. Although he's a bit of a natter. Disappointed that we didn't rank highly in the end-of-year polls in the magazines. Those grey-faced writers can't see it. We had a top ten single, number one album. What, what more do they want? Forget the critics, though. It's the fans what matter. Rod's on about booking a few nights at the Hammersmith Odeon this time, showing me business. I'm quite enjoying being in Jersey. It's not too cold, but I'm warming the old cockles with a few pints. I'm getting some inspiration from history while I'm here. Got some books out of the library. Bit of a war theme going on for this album, I reckon. I fancy writing about a battle. Someone told me about the Battle of the Flowers, which Jersey's famous for. Although, I went to the museum and turns out it's a flaming carnival. Bruce has said he wants to get involved in writing this year, so that's good. The mood's pretty high. Even Davey says he might have a go. I've been getting into 7-Up lately. It's like this lemon and lime drink, but it's got seven ingredients, I think. That's why it's called 7-Up. It helps me focus. It's quite a refreshing taste. In case you're wondering how I got Steve Harris's diary, on last week's show, I revealed that Paul Diano had gone back to 1981 and was settled there. But before he went, he left me this package which had Steve Harris's diary from 1983. So that's what I'm going to be doing on this series. So hopefully that makes sense. I feel like I mentioned all of the instrumental passages in one sentence, which didn't give me a chance to play them all in the background and that we can all appreciate them. So here we go. I'm going to shut up for a minute. Well, maybe not a minute, a few seconds, while I play the solo, which I think is one of the highlights of the song and possibly the album. Right, I'm going to give Trevor a ring, see how he feels about the song. Hi, Wayne. Hi, Trevor. Uh, I've just given you a call about where Eagle's there. All right, yeah. Um, don't you want any small talk first? We're not, you normally ask me what I'm doing. Um, OK, what are you doing? Well, I've been painting. What have you been painting? Your shed? No, just little figures. What sort of figures? Like orcs and goblins? No, I've been painting Sabutio players, so they've got the new kit. What do you mean? Well, in football, they change their kit every year, so I have to paint my Birmingham City to reflect the new changes. OK, don't, can't you just go and buy a new one? Nah, they've changed the players now. Anyway, this team, they're from the 80s. I've just painted them every year, so they're a bit thick now. They're a bit heavier to play with, so it means when you, when you take a shot, it's really powerful, and the keeper can't stop it. And if it does, it breaks. Michael Patterson was in tears. What, have you played Michael Patterson at Subutio recently? No, this was in the 90s. Okay, well, should we move on to, to where Eagles Dare? Yeah, it's a great song. Okay, uh, any more advance on that? Yeah, I think it's one of the best on the album. Um, there's there's a few more maybe that are better than it, but it's it's up there for me. It's in the top half. I remember a headline, Where Eagles Dare, in, in the paper at the time, but it was about Crystal Palace, and their nickname was the Eagles. But I thought it was about Iron Maiden, so I read it, and it was just a match report. Okay. Yeah, I got confused because when I read in Running Free, the book, by Gary Bushell, that Dennis Stratton left because he was an Eagles fan, I thought that meant he was a fan of Crystal Palace, not the band. Well, he spoiled West Ham, didn't he? 
Well, yeah, but I didn't know that at the time. I thought he was sacked because that he supported a rival football team. And that's when I thought that me and you couldn't be in a band because we support rival football teams. Well, yeah, but we were never we never had that conversation about being in a band, did we? Well, no, we didn't. We just drew sleeves and pretended. That's right. Okay, well, anyway, thanks for your insight. Um, we'll stick with poetry for this series. Uh, have you got a poem for me about where eagles dare? Yeah, I have. Um, I've used some of the lyrics in it and twisted them to suit my own memories. Okay, well, let's hear it. It's snowing outside, the rumbling sound of my tummy on Christmas afternoon. The Queen's on the telly, but I'm playing with Lego while the family sleeps in the living room. Uncle Ron's farts linger long in the air. No poet can go where Trevor dares. Okay, um, so you've, yeah, I think the first and last line are very similar to what's in the song, but clearly this is about a memory of Christmas time. Yeah, the family are asleep because we're all full after Christmas dinner, and then Uncle Ron, yeah, well, he was a legend. Okay, well, I think this is the second or third time that your poems have been filled with flatulence. I'm not sure it's appropriate. Well, you've not said anything. I don't swear in them. You told me not to swear, and that's fine. But people fart. It's it's fact of life. I bet Steve Harris farts. We're not here to speculate about Steve Harris and the band. It's irrelevant. This is something to do with your uncle, Ron. And I don't know what it's got to do with the podcast. Well, that's what a poet does. They take a theme and run with it. Sometimes it takes them to dark places. Well, it sounds like a reasonable memory, playing with Lego. What, what, what Was it Lego Space? Yeah, Lego space, it was good. Can't get any more. You get everything except space. Okay, well, anyway, thank you for your poem, and uh, next week we're on Revelations, so that'll be fun. So I look forward to talking to you about that. Okay, thanks, Wayne. Bye. Okay, you can follow me on social media. I'm at Wayne Maiden on Twitter, and I've had some tweets recently. I had one from Daniel Davis, and uh, he took exception to me saying that Revelations was the worst second track on the albums of the 1980s. And when you think about it, they're all very good. Remember Tomorrow, Wrathchild, all the way to Infinite Dreams and Wasted Years. So I actually felt that Revelations was perhaps the weakest of these. This doesn't mean I think Revelations is a bad track. However, he gave some examples and he, he thinks that Wrathchild and Wasted Years are worse than Revelations. This is fine. I don't mind people having opinions. That's what my podcast is. It's my opinion. However... He goes on to say in his tweet, Deaf as a Jaffa cake, Wayne, which I take as a personal insult. I looked it up in my Penguin Book of Idioms, and deaf as a Jaffa cake isn't a well-known saying. Deaf as a doorpost, maybe, but not a Jaffa cake, and this is just another cruel taunt, and I had flashbacks to my time in the workplace when a grievance was raised against me. On the subject of the worst track number two, if I look at the set lists that Iron Maiden have done throughout history, then Remember Tomorrow is the one that's played the least live. That doesn't mean it's the worst track, of course. Again, it's down to opinion. On a more positive note, I'd like to thank anybody who's voted for the podcast on the Discover Podcast Awards. The closing date was at the weekend just gone. And uh, yeah, I did tweet about it and maybe encouraged people to vote. Hopefully nobody voted for it in the comedy section, which is still a problem. But yeah, I hope to be at the awards ceremony. Maybe Uncle Steve will be there. Maybe Trevor will be there. The good news is I've got a purple suit and I look quite good in it. 
My mum's friend Christine says I look like a young Willy Wonka. So that's good. I maybe should have said this earlier so that people would have voted just to see me in this suit. But there'll be plenty more award ceremonies. I recently wrote a blog post moaning about an award ceremony. This may have seemed like sour grapes because I wasn't nominated. But I was very disappointed to see who was nominated and the winners. And that real celebrities with blue ticks after their name on Twitter, they got the awards and the plaudits. I don't like this. I want more independent podcasts to be recognised. Anyway, that's on my Ko-Fi page. And that's a nice link for me to mention my Ko-Fi page, which is ko-fi.com forward slash wimp. Next week, I'm looking at the song Revelations, which is track two on the album, of course. So hopefully, I'll speak to you then. Thanks a lot for listening. Bye-bye.